Welcome to Season Zero, Episode One of Fundraiser's Frontier. I'm your host, Anna Dietrich, and I invite you to join me on a quest for understanding, best practices, and tips and tricks to make ourselves better fundraisers. Before we get into the basics of fundraising in season one, I'd like to start with the big picture. No matter how much experience you have or what kind of fundraiser you are, there's a foundational level of understanding that should be ubiquitous. And for me, it's a foundation in the literal sense. My career in fundraising started nearly a decade ago in the basement of my alma mater's alumni house, where I would spend most weeknights from 6 to 10 o'clock cold calling our alumni and asking for donations. If my school's fundraising strategy was a massive tapestry, I was a tiny thread. I had no idea the role that I played, but I was just happy to be a part of it. Today, as a major gift officer, not only do I contribute a few more threads than I did back then, I see my place in the larger work much more clearly. I understand the way my work contributes to my organization's goals, and better yet, I'm able to see the impact of my efforts firsthand. This leads me to my first tip. Learn your role in the fundraising strategy. I don't mean you should memorize your job description. I mean you should learn how your work contributes to your organization's overall goals and which key indicators measure those contributions. This way, you'll have a much clearer understanding of the goals and strategy of your organization overall, and you'll position yourself to fundraise much more effectively. I'll also interject quickly here that I'm not just making this up, or using my own anecdotes from my limited fundraising experience to tell you effectively what to do. My recommendations in today's episode are informed by the Charitable Triad Theory, which was originally published in July 2022 by Cassandra Chapman, Winifred Lewis, Barbara Masser, and Emma Thomas. You can read it yourself by checking out the citation in today's show notes. To support this theory, the researchers performed a systematic review of a huge portion of the existing research on charitable giving. The research indicates, and I'll quote directly here, that first, giving is triadic because the characteristics of three actors, donors, beneficiaries, and fundraisers, influence charitable decisions. Second, the characteristics of each of the three actors may be necessary but not sufficient to promote giving. Third, giving is relational because interactive relationships between the triad determine charitable choices, end quote. For the purpose of this study, a fundraiser can be identified as an individual like you and I. The organization you represent is also considered a fundraiser. As such, you and your organization need to work in tandem and be unified in your approach. So, the more you can learn about your organization's overall fundraising strategy, the better. You should, asterisk, as an established fundraiser, know which types of fundraising your organization focuses on. These may include annual giving, major gifts, estate giving, and many others. You should also know what vehicles of giving your organization will accept. In roles related to annual giving, You'll see a lot of personal checks, credit and debit card payments, and cash. Yes, cash. 
However, as the dollar amounts increase, the vehicles your donors use to give will shift. You'll notice IRA distributions, donor-advised funds, and even stocks and securities. But don't worry, you don't need to know what any of those terms mean right now. We'll cover them in another episode later on. For right now, we are simply observing and taking note of what's happening around us on the fundraising team. Even if it's not directly related to your role right now, you should learn how fundraising at your organization functions, and noticing these things will only give you a leg up down the road. Another important foundational fundraising concept to keep in mind as you align yourself with your organization's strategy is your donor pipeline. So imagine your organization's income as a large body of water fed by a pipeline from a nearby river. There may be plenty of funds to sustain you for a long time. All the while, though, your organization's leaders are keeping an eye on the pipeline. Funds that won't be given today, next month, or even this year, they're looking years or even decades up the pipeline to identify and build relationships with future potential donors. So even if you're a college student in a call center, the person who gave you $10 today may very well be capable of giving you $10,000 or even $10 million a few decades from now. No matter what your role is, every interaction, phone call, and email could lead to a gift later on. So what does that mean for you? Depending on your position on the fundraising team, your contribution to the overall strategy can vary a lot. Even in roles where you may not ever make an ask or submit a proposal, the value you can bring is immense. For example, at my alma mater, my cold calling associates and I were very proud to raise $100,000 in an academic year. However, I got to thinking and did some math, accounting for payroll for myself and the other callers, equipment and maintenance costs, and software to run the phones. I couldn't understand how we could afford to operate. Worried, I went to my manager and asked how we could possibly be running in the black. To my shock, I was told we weren't. Quickly, though, my manager assured me my job was safe. The value the telephone outreach program brought to the overall fundraising strategy was not funds. It was data. The first thing we'd do upon confirming we were speaking with the alum was to verify all their contact information. So each night, we were updating hundreds of records with better contact information, giving our higher-level fundraisers the best phone numbers, emails, and street addresses to work with. Though we weren't covering our costs of operation, the value the program brought in, in data, was much more than was spent operating it. The last piece to consider as you orient yourself in the broader fundraising strategy at your organization is immersing yourself in its impact. If your organization is educational, attend a lecture, go to a student-led event, or read about the research the faculty are doing. If you work at a museum, Walk through the exhibit, chat with the curator, talk to the kids on the field trip. No matter where you work or what your organization does, find a way to immerse yourself in it. Remember, as we discussed up top, the relationship between fundraiser and beneficiary is just as important as the relationship between fundraiser and donor. 
the interactions of all three players determine charitable giving choices. Your alignment with your beneficiaries will do a few things. Number one, it will provide knowledge and understanding that will be helpful in your donor conversations. You may discover projects you didn't know existed and be able to align those with a donor's interests. Number two, you'll begin to build critical relationships with the folks whose boots are on the ground. Sadly, in fundraising, we often find ourselves separated and isolated from the rest of the organization, especially from the people who are doing the most direct interfacing with the communities we impact. It's good and important to build these relationships so that you can better understand and meet their needs. In many cases, your organization's public-facing workers may also be categorized as your beneficiary. If you're fundraising for facilities improvement in your educational institution's classrooms, for example, both your students and faculty would benefit. At the end of the day, it's the end user you're fundraising for. Immersing yourself in the impact isn't a one-time thing either. You need to walk the walk. I've also had people tell me that you need to be giving to your organization yourself, saying, you can't ask people to give if you're not giving yourself. I'd say that depends on your salary, but you can't ever be too involved. And whether it's better equipment, facilities, or resources, your work allows your frontliners to do their work. Their work gives you something to fundraise for and likely upholds the mission of your organization. It's a beautiful but entirely codependent relationship. Theory aside, one cannot be successful without the other. This brings me to my final piece of advice for fundraisers at any level. You should care deeply about your organization. You need to find something about it. The people, the mission, the community, or something else. What do you love most about your job? Once you find whatever it is, cling to it. Let this be your North Star. That's what you'll show up in the morning for, that's what your meetings will be for, and that's what you're raising money for. Thanks so much for listening to Fundraiser's Frontier. If you want to come along with me on a journey to make yourself a better fundraiser, please follow the show or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you heard today, please leave a rating or review. If you didn't like it, you can leave a rating or review, but please be nice. If you want to shoot over a question or scenario you're noodling on, send it to me at fundfrontierpod at gmail.com. You can also find research and the transcript from today's episode, as well as a plethora of other resources at fundraisersfrontier.com. You'll also find them in the show notes. Seriously, thank you so much for listening. I hope I'll catch you again next week.